It's the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. At Highland, we're all about celebrating little wins and little ways to innovate digital processes. There's no customer pain point too small for us to help with. Maybe that's why more than half of the Fortune 100 looks to Highland to connect their content and data, improve processes, and turn little efficiencies into big wins for their customers and clients. Highland, intelligent content solutions for innovators everywhere at highland.com. Kyle Krabs here, host of Locked On NFL Scouting. Join Joe Marino and me every day as we provide position-by-position analysis of the upcoming NFL Draft. Check out the Locked On NFL Scouting podcast with the Draft Dudes on YouTube or wherever you listen to your favorite podcasts. You are Locked On Seahawks, your daily Seattle Seahawks podcast. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Greetings, 12s, and the Raven Flock. It's officially Crossover Wednesday here on the Locked On Podcast Network. I'm Corbin Smith of Locked On Seahawks. I'm joined by Kevin Ostriker of Locked On Ravens. We've got a big Week 7 contest coming up at CenturyLink Field between two title contenders in their respective conferences. The Seahawks sitting in second place in the NFC West at 5-1. The Ravens in first place in the AFC North at 4-2. Glad to be working with you, Kevin. Tons to talk about today. Yeah, there's a different feeling in the air for us Ravens flock today. Is the Ravens the big news of the day? They acquired Marcus Peters in the Los Angeles Rams in exchange for linebacker Kenny Young in an undisclosed draft pick. But people are thinking that's a fifth-round draft pick. And, Corbin, I wanted to ask you about Marcus Peters. He's been in the NFC West for a year and a little bit of change. What have you seen from him over the games that he's played against the Seahawks? So I actually have a pretty extensive background with watching Marcus Peters because uh, he obviously played at the University of Washington, so I saw him play a lot in college, saw a lot of games when he was with Kansas City, had eight interceptions his rookie season. It really was a pick machine in his three years with the Chiefs. Really wasn't his on-field talent that ended up getting him uh, traded away by the Chiefs. It was character issues. Ends up with the Rams and had three interceptions last year, was solid, but he had some struggles at times last year. And one quarterback that has certainly had a lot of success against him in the past, including two weeks ago when the Rams last were in Seattle, Russell Wilson has had a lot of success picking on Marcus Peters over the years. And I think the big thing for Peters is that he is a very aggressive corner that is willing to gamble for the football. And Russell Wilson has played around a little bit with him using his eyes, and he gets him to bite thinking he's going to jump a pass. And then suddenly a double move, he gets exploited. And Russell Wilson, along with Tyler Lockett, David Moore last year had a double move he scored a touchdown on against Marcus Peters. They've been able to take advantage of him in that regard. So this is a player that can pick up a lot of interceptions. He can pick, he can rack them up in bunches, but he's also a player that that aggressiveness can work against him. And Russell Wilson, like I said, has had a lot of success doing that. So this might not necessarily, this is a talented player, but it might not necessarily be something the Seahawks are unhappy about getting to see him a second time in three weeks. Clearly a guy that can make turnovers happen. Also a guy the Seahawks have to feel confident that they can take advantage of too. Well, here in the immediate future, the move might not pay off if Russell Wilson has the same success that he did when he was playing the Rams. But the defense that the Ravens run is a bit different than the Rams do. The Rams are even 
the Rams really didn't utilize Marcus Peters as they should have. They used him a lot in zone coverage, and he was covering a specific zone, and thus his receiver could beat him on an out or over the top. But when he is locked on man-to-man with somebody, which is what the Ravens run a bit, I feel like him covering number two receivers with Marlon Humphrey on the number one and... We had talked about it a bit that the Ravens are going to have to make a decision here because DK Metcalf is actually starting to come into his own, that big body speedster, while Tyler Lockett has been a threat for years now. And so the Ravens are going to have to decide if Marcus Peters can suit up on Sunday, if they're going to put Marcus Peters on Tyler Lockett, where Tyler Lockett has had success, or are they going to put Marcus Peters on DK Metcalf, but then they're going to have that size issue where Marlon Humphrey's a bit bigger. So, Corbin, looking at that, where do you think the Ravens might go when it comes to that, if you're inside that coaching mind? So, we were talking about this before the show. I am really curious what John Harbaugh and his staff are going to do as far as deciding what they're going to do with those receivers. Maybe it'll be something like the Seahawks do, where they'll just stick to sides and both those guys will get reps against both Metcalf and and Tyler Lockett. We could also see them choose to exclusively have a player that moves with Tyler Lockett, who's clearly the Seahawks' number one receiver on pace for over 1,200 receiving yards, uh, nearly double-digit touchdowns again. So like you said, he's really coming to his own as one of the league's best receivers, and the Ravens are going to have to account for that. I'm just curious because... With Humphrey, obviously, you got a guy that can be a physical press coverage corner. I think he would match up well with DK Metcalf when you look at the size and speed elements that he brings to the table. And I also think he could handle Tyler Lockett fairly well. He's a really good athlete. Uh, but you look at Marcus Peters, Tyler Lockett's kind of had his number the last uh, couple years in the NFC West. So, again... Maybe the scheme has had more to do with it than anything. In the Ravens scheme, man-to-man, maybe he can be glued on Tyler Lockett and take care of him. Uh, But that's something that the Ravens are going to have to consider here if he's even able to play. I do think that that's worth mentioning here. I expect he's going to dress, but how much are you going to be able to get in with only five days until the game? It's going to be really difficult if you're just asking him to go out there, hey, go man-to-man on this guy you can do that. Any corner can do that in this league that's been playing the NFL for a long time. They can at least execute it and play man coverage. Does that mean they're necessarily going to be successful? Who knows? Uh, but as far as learning other intricacies in the defense, you're not going to have enough time to do that. And I can tell you from experience with Jadevian Clowney, who was traded for just before the start of the regular season at defensive end for the Seahawks, he played that opener and had a sack, but certainly he did not know all the defense. He didn't know most of the defense. And so I can only imagine for a corner how difficult that is in the middle of the season to get traded and they'd have to learn a playbook and, oh, we need you to play in five days. So uh, I'm curious to see how this plays out. I think he's going to play. Obviously, he'll dress. I just don't know how many snaps they're going to be able to roll with him because he's going to have a tough time learning a lot of the defense in such short order. And mentioning that, the Ravens might not have a choice. The secondary coming into this year was considered the strength, by far the biggest strength of this team. They had so much depth there. But as the season and even the preseason progressed, everybody, it seems like, has gone down with an injury. The Ravens slot cornerback Tavon Young went down with a neck injury in the preseason. Jimmy Smith in week one with a sprained MCL. He still does not return. Tony Jefferson tore his ACL. Deshaun Elliott, his replacement, went on IR. One on IR yesterday with a knee injury. Maurice Kennedy, who has been playing well in the absence of Smith, now has a hamstring injury, and he is probably unlikely to play this week. So the Ravens are very thin. They just signed Bennett Jackson off of the Jets practice squad. Jackson was with the Ravens during the preseason. Actually showed flashes, but he's never started. But he's never actually been active, actually, for a game in the NFL. 
So the Ravens are extremely thin at the secondary position right now. They have solid players there like Earl Thomas, like Marlon Humphrey, Brandon Carr, to name a few. And now Marcus Peters is now in the fold. But Peters will most likely dress. I would be surprised if he didn't. But I think that he's going to get a lot of burn just because the Ravens don't have an option. But what I love about this deal for the Ravens is that the Ravens need a they need pass rush. They need interior offensive line. But the secondary, with it being so thin, this is a move where they get value in Marcus Peters. Kenny Young in a fifth-round pick for Marcus Peters. I mean, if you had said that in 2016 in his Pro Bowl year when he had six interceptions, ended up having 45 total tackles, it was would be crazy. But now you have a guy who had kind of struggled in Los Angeles, was trying to find his way there, wasn't used in the proper way. And the Rams didn't really chalk this up to character concerns. It seems like there were character concerns coming out of University of Washington and coming out of Kansas City. But apparently he was actually pretty... But apparently he was actually a pretty solid person with the Rams, and the Ravens have been known for taking on some high-character guys, Steve Smith and Michael Crabtree, to name a few of them, just in the recent years. But Peters is a guy who is a high-intensity guy. He's a risk-reward guy when he plays, and this move is a risk-reward as well because Kenny Young had lost his way on the Ravens. He kind of looked like a chicken with his head cut off was the most popular analogy on Twitter. He has extremely high coverage skills and a lot of potential but he wasn't living up to it, and he was inactive two weeks ago and didn't play a single snap being active after the Ravens lost Patrick Owasso to an ankle injury last week. So the Ravens got value for a guy they weren't going to use in Peters. And look, if Peters plays great, then they can sign him to an extension. They have an inside track on him. But if they don't, but if he doesn't play well or even plays too well and prices his way out of Baltimore, the Ravens will most likely recoup a compensatory pick for him, which we all know. Uh, how much the Ravens love those compensatory picks. So overall, I think this was a great move for the Ravens and maybe more to come here, whether it be a pass rusher or an offensive lineman. Certainly it'll be interesting to see how this plays out with Peters now in the Ravens secondary. As I said, I expect it like you did as well, that he is going to play in this football game and likely play a lot of snaps because like you said, it's out of desperation. They don't have a lot of depth in, at corner right now. And he's just got one year left on this deal that they're acquiring for. So get him out there right now and see if he can contribute, help out your defense. And it impacts the Seahawks more than just this weekend when they play the Rams later this year, they're going to likely be without Peters and Aqib Tlaib. They're two starting corners. Tlaib went on injured reserve a few days ago. So there's a good chance when they play each other later this year, the Rams will be without their top two starting cornerbacks. Certainly impacts the NFC West race. When we come back, Kevin and I are going to be taking a look at the Ravens offense, which is headlined by the number one rushing attack in the NFL against the Seahawks defense in this upcoming matchup. You're listening to Crossover Wednesday here on the Locked On Podcast Network. Before we move forward, let's talk about sex. Good sex. Remember the days when you were always ready to go and you could increase your performance and get that extra confidence in bed? Listen up. BlueChew.com. That's blue like the color blue. Blue Chew brings you the first chewable with the same FDA-approved active ingredients as Viagra and Cialis, so you know they work. You can take them anytime, day or night, even on a full stomach. And since they're chewable, they work up to twice as fast as a pill, so you can be ready whenever an opportunity arises. Now, this isn't just for guys who can't perform, it's for any guy who wants extra function to enhance their performance in the bedroom. Blue Chew is prescribed online and ships straight to your door in a discreet package, so no in-person doctor's visit, no waiting in the pharmacy, and best of all, no more awkwardness. They're made in the USA, and since Blue Chew prepares and ships direct, they're cheaper than a pharmacy. Right now, we've got a special deal for our listeners. Visit BlueChew.com 
and get your first shipment free when you use our special promo code Locked On. Just pay $5 shipping. Again, that's B-L-U-E-Chew.com. Promo code Locked On to try for free. Blue Chew is the better, cheaper, faster choice, and we thank them for sponsoring the podcast. If you found $100 on the street, would you pick it up or keep walking? Of course you take the money. So why do you keep picking winners and not betting on them? That's why I go to my bookie. It's fast, it's easy, and they pay when you win. Let's face it, where you're betting is just as important as who you're betting on. I wouldn't be telling you guys to bet with them if they weren't the best. Do the smart thing. If you're going to bet this football season, bet with my bookie. Did you know you could bet on games after kickoff? If by the second half it looks like your bet is going to lose, you can always just take the other side. If you're the kind of guy that likes to bet a little and win a lot, try a parlay. If all your picks come through, you'll multiply your winnings, and no matter what you bet or how you bet, the NFL season is the best time of year. Join now and MyBookie will double your first deposit. Use promo code LOCKEDON to activate the offer. That's promo code LOCKEDON. Visit MyBookie.ag today. You play, you win, you get paid. Welcome back. It's officially Crossover Wednesday here on the Locked On Podcast Network. I'm Corbin Smith of Locked On Seahawks, joined by Kevin Ostriker of Locked On Ravens. Kevin, we were talking about the Marcus Peters trade in the first quarter. Now we're going to switch gears a little bit, looking at the Ravens' offense. The Ravens coming in at 4-2. and two. They've really found a lot of success under offensive coordinator Greg Roman this year. It's really helped Lamar Jackson his second season, 11 touchdowns and five interceptions, three of those coming in one game against Cleveland a few weeks ago. So you take that one outlier out of the picture. He's been much more efficient as a passer this season. What have you seen from what Roman has done to set Jackson up for success during these first six weeks of the season? Roman has done a tremendous job, actually, of making sure this offense is tailored toward Lamar Jackson. You mentioned those five interceptions. I actually want to point something out that four of those interceptions I actually wouldn't put on Lamar Jackson. He did have a bad read at the end of the first half against the Pittsburgh Steelers where he threw to his own guy who came up and snatched the ball. That's really the one interception that I would give Lamar Jackson. Other than that, there were a few ticky-tacky pass interference calls that could have been called. One of them wasn't even a completion. The defender dropped it, but replay, as we know, hasn't been spectacular this year, so it was upheld. And then another one, there was a tip ball that Jack, a rusher came free. Jackson's arm was hit. The ball went straight up in the air and right into the arms of the defensive lineman. So I would personally put Jackson at only one interception, but the way that Roman has been utilizing Jackson in the offense is just to let him do what he does and by that I mean let the game come to him whether Jackson throws the ball or runs the ball we know that he can be effective and what Jackson put an emphasis on in the offseason was improving his decision making improving his awareness and improving his accuracy and all three of those things have come to fruition for Jackson a guy in his second year who's only made 13 career starts that's something that people forget Jackson is only 22 years old right now he's still a young guy and he's still learning so what Roman has done is introduced a bunch of rpos which were a thing last year but he's given jackson more decisions to make for himself he's able to pull that ball when he sees a defender on the edge and defenders creeping up on mark ingram but he's also able to hand it off when he knows that the edge guys are coming for him and what that allows jackson to do is have a lot of freedom with his legs but also with his arm because if they do that enough the defense will start to stack the box, and on those RPOs, Jackson can actually pull the ball back for himself and throw it. And the Ravens have done that a few times on slants to big receivers like Miles Boykin. He loves his tight end, Mark Andrews. He's one of the guys who has really come on in his second year out of Oklahoma. 
they have a really good rapport together. So I think that Andrews should be a guy to watch. The Ravens also most likely should be getting Marquise Hollywood Brown, the rookie receiver out of Oklahoma, back. And that allows the Ravens to stretch the field with a deep threat. Marquise is a guy who is extremely fast, can run those deep routes and get behind defenders. So that allows the Ravens to make sure the defense is spread out. But overall, Roman has done an excellent job. There were concerns with Marnie Morningweg last year, running the same exact play three times in a row, three runs, a screen pass on third down and 11 that would go nowhere. Roman has done a great job of understanding the game and letting the game come to Lamar Jackson. I'm glad that you mentioned Marquise Brown because the speedy rookie out of Oklahoma has clearly been outstanding for them. Really the guy in this game that I'm most concerned about from a Seahawks standpoint, though, is Mark Andrews, the second-year tight end. I want to talk about a player that's really come into his own this year. 410 receiving yards to lead the team, three touchdowns. Just two weeks ago against the Rams, Gerald Everett had over 100 receiving yards for the Rams against the Seahawks, including a big reception that got them in field goal range at the end of the game. And then Greg Zerline missed the game-winning field goal attempt. So the Seahawks got lucky and they survived, picked up the victory on Thursday night football. And they've had some trouble at times with tight ends. And that dates back all the way through Pete Carroll's tenure. That's been one area, even with the Legion of Boom in Seattle, when they still had Earl Thomas, Cam Chancellor, Sherman, and those guys that they had trouble with defending tight ends. So I look at Mark Andrews as a player in this game. Uh, last week, even Ricky Seals Jones had a long touchdown for the Cleveland Browns against the Seahawks. Uh, they've got to be able to figure out how they can cover him. Are they going to are they going to approach it with a linebacker because they've ran a lot of four three base defense? Are you going to have somebody like Michael Kendricks or KJ Wright trying to defend him? And to me, he's too athletic to have that matchup all the time but if you put a nickel corner like Jamar Taylor on him now there's a huge size discrepancy there that is in favor of Mark Andrews so that's going to be a huge matchup problem there on the outside I would look for Shaquille Griffin to get a lot of reps against Marquise Brown a really speedy corner that can match up with him he did a nice job against Odell Beckham uh, last weekend on the flip side Trey Flowers is still a pretty good athlete but doesn't have quite the same twitch as what Shaquille Griffin does. So if he ends up getting reps against Marquise Brown, that could be an area to me that Lamar Jackson can exploit with that downfield passing game. And Flowers is a guy that's showing improvement. But I do think that that would be a matchup that would be more favorable for Baltimore than if Shaquille Griffin is across from him. Definitely. And Corbin, I want to ask you about something on the Seahawks defense, that pass rush for the Seahawks. Zicky Ansah and Jadavian Clowney were the two big pickups there. And I think that... The Seahawks have had a little bit. Uh, the Seahawks had a little higher expectations for them coming into the year. Davion only has one sack this year. Ziggy Ansah only one sack. And so, what I'm wondering is, the Seahawks currently have ten sacks on the year, which ranks 26th in the league at the moment. Were you expecting more out of the Seattle pass rush? And what can you expect against this Ravens offensive line that has actually looked pretty good this year? Ronnie Stanley is the number one rated pass protector in the league right now in terms of tackles. So what do you expect the Seahawks to do to really disrupt the Ravens' offensive line? So answering your first question, and as far as expectations go, I tempered my expectations, and I think a lot of fans did too. I tempered expectations for that pass rush because you've got Clowney and Anza coming into uh, their Seattle career, starting their Seattle career with very limited practice time. Jadavion Clowney wasn't even a Seahawk until August 31st. They had to finalize that trade, so he just kind of got thrown into the fire in week one, and so I thought it was going to take a little while for him to get this scheme down and adjust, but it's now week seven 
And you would expect that the pass rushing production is going to start picking up from Jadevian Clowney. And the Rams game, he was very close to hitting Jared Goff, Jared Goff several times. Uh, but that's kind of been the story of Clowney's career as a pass rusher. If you talk to people that covered him with the Texans, they would tell you, man, we thought he was going to rack up a bunch of sacks and get so close, but he just never could quite get there. And obviously has never become that double digit sack guy that a lot of people anticipated that he was going to be. So at this stage, it's starting to wonder, you know, how much are you going to get out of him? I still believe, and he's really helped their run defense, but I believe he's still a guy that can get them five, six, seven sacks if he gets on a roll here. And he's been so close so many times. Uh, But at the same time, we're getting deep enough into the season now you're starting to wonder, is he really going to be able to make the impact in that regard that the Seahawks hoped he would when they made the trade for him? And and they don't need to have him become a 10 or 11 sack guy to you know get the value back. They didn't have to give up much to get him, but this is a guy they really thought was going to be a game changer. And in some regards, he has been, but getting after the quarterback, not necessarily. As for Ziggy Anza, coming back from a really serious shoulder injury, I I thought his return was going to be slow, and he's shown some glimpses in each game. He had a huge fumble recovery. It forced the fumble as well on Sunday against the Browns. So he's doing some little things that are showing up. The consistency is just not there yet, especially as a pass rusher. He still looks rusty out there. I I have optimism around him as well that he's going to figure it out at some point. But I think some of this also falls on the coaching staff. And I think Pete Carroll has admitted that at times the last few weeks, that we need to do a better job schematically getting these guys in a position to succeed and so it's kind of been a little bit of both those things the players need to perform better the coaches need to set them up a little better I still think a breakthrough is coming I think the Ravens have a really solid offensive line but knowing the way that the NFL works I wouldn't be surprised at all even with Ronnie Stanley being that top rated tackle if the Seahawks this week were able to get some things going especially considering Lamar Jackson has a tendency to hold on to the football longer than some quarterbacks because of his trust in his athleticism that he can get away. That may create more opportunities than they got last week when Baker Mayfield was unloading the football right after the snap consistently, and they just really had no fighting chance to get pressure on him. Definitely, and the NFL is a weird league. You know, the Seahawks have been struggling with the pass rush a bit. Well, this might be the week against the Ravens. It's actually solid offensive line that they break out. Who knows? But the Ravens' offensive line I want to talk about a little bit because – there was a lot of concern coming into the year because the Ravens' interior offensive line, specifically the left guard and center positions, were really question marks this year. You had a left guard competition that was a rotating door throughout the entire preseason. Shemaine Illuminor was pretty much handed the starting job and saying, you can have this, you can take it, and then really did everything in his power to lose it and was ultimately shipped off to the Patriots. And the Ravens ended up going with Bradley Bozeman, who has been a solid player concerning the circumstances, but last week against the Bengals, he had four penalties, and when any offensive lineman has four penalties, that's cause for concern right there. He's still a young guy, his second season out of Alabama. But the Ravens also had a center in Matt Skura, who struggled last year but came in, looked like he added a bit of muscle, and has been pretty solid this year. So overall, I think the Ravens' offensive line can't handle the Seahawks' pass rush, but it's just going to be a matter of are these solid pass rushes for the Seahawks like Clowney and Ansa, even Jaron Reed, are those guys going to come in and make an impact? 
Oh, man, Jared Reed, the first game for him back from suspension. I know the Seahawks are fired about that. The Ravens, probably not so much, having a guy that had 10.5 <laughs> sacks last year coming back in. And that could be the difference maker for those other guys. When you have an interior rusher that can create pressure like Jaron Reed can, that makes life tougher for the entire offensive line, and it can make it easier for those defensive ends to pin their ears back and get after the quarterback as well. So I do think that's another thing worth monitoring here. How much Reed is going to be able to play this weekend, we'll have to wait and see since he's been away from the team. Uh, he says he's in outstanding shape, but uh, you know, working out, running, lifting weights is not the same as football conditioning. Those are two totally different things, so who knows how much he's going to be able to impact things, but certainly having him back, they hope that's going to help stifle the Ravens' number one rushing attack with Mark Ingram, as well as getting after Lamar Jackson and trying to frustrate the young quarterback in the pocket. That's going to be a really fun back-and-forth matchup to watch, see if that Seahawks defensive line has an answer for Jackson's dual threat ability and this run game that he's got to complement him. When we come back for the third quarter, we're going to flip the script a little bit here. Obviously, Earl Thomas, former Seahawks star, he's coming back to Seattle as a Baltimore Raven. We're going to look at that Ravens defense led by Thomas going against Russell Wilson and the Seahawks offense. You're listening to Crossover Wednesday here on the Locked On Podcast Network. We'll be right back. If you're looking for the most comprehensive NFL draft coverage this offseason, look no further than the Locked On NFL Scouting Podcast. Join the draft dudes, Kyle Krabs and Joe Marino, as they go position by position through the NFL free agent class and into the star-studded crop of college stars who will be selected in the 2024 NFL Draft. If you want to know who your favorite NFL team should be adding to its roster, you need to check out Locked On NFL Scouting. Available on YouTube and wherever you get your podcasts. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network. Your team every day. And we're back. It's Crossover Wednesday here on the Locked On Podcast Network. I'm Corbin Smith for Locked On Seahawks along with Kevin Ostriker of Locked On Ravens. Last quarter, we were looking at the Ravens' offense led by Lamar Jackson, Mark Ingram and company against the Seahawks' defense. Now we're going to turn the tables here a little bit, and we have to start off looking at the Seahawks' offense against the Ravens' defense. We have to start this segment off talking about former Seahawks star Earl Thomas, who obviously left in free agency, signed a multi-year deal with the Ravens, and it didn't even look like the Ravens were going to be in the picture for this, and then they came out of nowhere a lot of the reports were indicating the Chiefs were going to sign Earl Thomas, but then the Ravens come swooping in and sign him. And with that, if he would have gone to the Chiefs, he wouldn't be playing in Seattle this regular season. But signing with the Ravens, he gets to come back to CenturyLink Field, and you can't write up a better script than that. I, I'm really curious. I hope the fans respond favorably to Earl Thomas. I know that his departure from Seattle was an ugly one. It was a messy divorce, but uh, this is a guy that did so many great things in Seattle, helped them win a Super Bowl and get to another one. I'm hoping that the fans act responsibly here and they give this guy a loud applause rather than boos. Definitely. And I mean, 10 seasons in Seattle, all those accolades, I think that Thomas will get an ecstatic reaction from the people at CenturyLink on Sunday. But Thomas this season has been a pleasant surprise for the Ravens, but fans didn't actually think that at first. He had struggled a bit in his first two games because he wasn't really accumulating stats and hasn't really accumulated stats this year. Only 12 total tackles and one interception in the opener against Miami. But that doesn't tell the whole story. A lot of box score analysts will look at that and say he's having an awful year, but he really is not. 
teams just aren't throwing at Thomas, and I think Seahawks fans and you too, Corbin, know why. He's just that dangerous. He can cover an insane amount of ground in an insane amount of time, and he's a guy who knows the NFL game. He is very smart about football. He has a high football IQ. He's one of the leaders on the defense, but he's a quiet leader, I like to call him. He's a guy who knows what to do. He knows where to give advice, but he also knows where it's time to step back and let people learn themselves. And the Ravens lost Eric Weddle in the offseason to the Los Angeles Rams, a guy who is loved by almost all of Ravens Nation at this point and has a very high football IQ himself. For the, so the drop-off there was not very far. But in terms of play, Eric Weddle was kind of on the decline. His play had kind of waned a little bit. He wasn't wrapping up, and he was losing a step. So the Ravens decided to go in a different direction with Thomas. And I think so far he's been a steadying presence because of his ability to just look guys off and to just have that presence on a field where teams will be like, oh, my God, it's Earl Thomas. I can't throw at him because he knows what I'm doing. And that's true. There were a few plays where even against the Browns where he got a lot of flack for pulling up on that Nick Chubb 88-yard touchdown run. There was a play earlier in the game where the Ravens' one interception was because Jarvis Landry didn't want to get rocked by Earl Thomas coming over the middle of the field. So Landry kind of took a step back and made a business decision and didn't get hit. And thus, the ball went right into Maurice Kennedy's hands. So overall, I think that Thomas has had a positive impact on the team. There was a dust-up after that Cleveland game with Brandon Williams where the two got into an argument about Williams not playing that week. Earl Thomas wanted Williams out there because he thinks that the team is better with him. But that was probably overblown. Thomas is a guy who just wants to win and just wants to play football after having that injury last season. So I think Thomas has been a very welcome addition to this Ravens secondary. The Seahawks, they love the explosive downfield deep ball. They have always loved that in Pete Carroll's offense. It's obviously a run-oriented attack, but they like to take their shots. Having Earl Thomas back there may change things a little bit in this upcoming football game. Obviously, the Seahawks still have they have Lockett, they have DK Metcalf, as we mentioned earlier. They've got the horses to be able to win vertically, but Earl Thomas can still make up so much ground in coverage that you have to be careful. So Russell Wilson is playing with as much confidence, and he's never had a confidence issue anyway, but he's playing with as much confidence under center as he has during his entire NFL career. But I'm even looking back last year when they played the 49ers the first time. Didn't really go after Richard Sherman, his former teammate, very much. They only threw in his direction a couple times. It's a little different when you're dealing with a free safety that moves all over the field. It's it's going to be a little tougher to avoid him. So at some point, he's going to be testing his former teammate in that secondary. And I, I'm really excited to see how this matchup plays out. Uh, those two going against each other, one being the quarterback of the defense, uh, the secondary, and going up against Russell Wilson. This is clearly his football team now with the athletes that Wilson's got, the confidence that he's playing with, his ability to extend plays. It's just going to be one heck of a chess match between those two guys that at one point were playing on the same football team, and now they're leading their teams toward potentially division titles in the playoffs. And this is a huge road game for the Ravens, the really important game for the Seahawks too, since the 49ers have yet to lose a football game. And I look at that matchup as being 
the most important one here. Earl Thomas coming back to Seattle. How does Russell Wilson handle attacking him? You you can't be too passive or that completely stifles your passing game, but at the same time, you take your risk. Earl Thomas is still going to make you pay, especially with some of the other weapons they've got in that secondary, like Humphrey, now bringing Marcus Peters into the mix. They've certainly lost some guys there as well, but still a very solid secondary. And Earl's going to be motivated coming back for this football game. So I'm excited to see how that plays out. Now, you talked last quarter about the Seahawks pass rush. I haven't had a chance to watch all of the Ravens games, but the couple that I've watched, they have 11 sacks this year, just one more than the Seahawks have. And that's obviously not the only metric that you can use to figure out how well a team is rushing the passer. Uh, pass rushing win rates, quarterback hits, all those different categories you can look at. The Ravens, according to ESPN, have the second best pass rush win rate in the league at 57%, but it's only translated to 11 sacks. So uh, what do you make of this team right now rushing the passer, and has there been a noticeable impact uh, from a negative standpoint losing players like Zadarius Smith and Terrell Suggs during the offseason? I would have to say yes, and to answer your first part of the question, I don't see the same thing that ESPN sees, and a lot of Ravens fans don't see it that way as well. If you watch the film, when the Ravens send four guys, there's barely any pressure. When the Ravens send five guys, there's barely any pressure. When the Ravens send seven guys, there's barely any pressure. And it's a thing where it could be blisters or tripping over each other and taking the same gap. Thus, an offensive lineman can take two or three of them at once. I've seen that happen. People aren't using their moves effectively. The Ravens lost Terrell Suggs and Darius Smith, as you alluded to. The Ravens right now only have those 11 sacks. Also, like you said, that currently ranks 24th in the league. Zedaria Smith and Terrell Suggs combined this season have 10 sacks. So the losses on that side of the ball for the defense were always going to be tough to come back from. Everybody knew that. Eric Weddle, Zedaria Smith, Terrell Suggs, C.J. Mosley. The Ravens are starting a whole bunch of new young guys. And what I like to call the Ravens situation right now is a competitive rebuild. And what I mean by that is there are so many young guys on this team. Headlined by Lamar Jackson, but there's Mark Andrews, Hollywood Brown, and all these other young guys, even in the pass rush. Tyus Bowser, who was a second-round pick out of Houston a few years ago, is getting snaps now. Jalen Ferguson, who was a third-round pick in this year's draft, who's a rookie, is getting snaps. The Ravens have a lot of talent, but they have to learn. With the AFC North being this week this year, with the Bengals not looking competitive, the Steelers losing Roethlisberger, and the Browns looking like the Browns, even with all that talent. This is the Ravens' division to lose at the moment, and so guys are having to grow up quickly, and that sometimes just doesn't happen in the NFL. There has to be a few years of development. And overall, the pass rush hasn't been as dominant as it once was, and when you thought Ravens' defense over the last decade, two decades, you thought that it was hard-hitting, smash-mouth, and it was solid. But this year, the Ravens' defense has had some holes, and it's been attributed to the secondary, but when you talk about a secondary if the pass rush is letting a quarterback stand in the pocket for four or five six seconds there's no way that a secondary player can cover that long and that's just been what the Ravens secondary has had to deal with this year and while it has improved in the addition of Marcus Peters should help solidify that I also expect the Ravens to make a move in the pass rush game because while Matthew Judon has been their lead pass rusher this year and he's probably going to get paid in the offseason if it's not by the Ravens it's going to be someone else but with Dwayne Brown being injured and George Fant maybe stepping in there, you know, the Bengals had a terrible offensive line. They've shuffled in and out, and they've had a lot of injuries and, and moving people around. But the Seahawks, they have a bit better of an offensive line than the Bengals because I don't think anybody can 
be worse than the Bengals at this point. So maybe this is the game the pass rush turns it on, but I've been saying that every week, and so far it hasn't happened. But the losses of Zadarius Smith and Terrell Suggs, just their veteran leadership and their production has been sorely missed. To me, this is what decides the football game because you know Russell Wilson, the way that he's playing right now. No interceptions yet this year. He's thrown uh, 14 passing touchdowns. He's had a couple rushing touchdowns. His passer rating up in the 120s, 72% completion rate. I mean, he has been money. And yet, if you look at some of the advanced stats, the offensive line has arguably gotten worse as the season has progressed. And yet, he's getting sacked less. And that just shows you how brilliant he is at getting in and outside of the pocket, uh, moving around, setting himself up to extend plays. And so if the Seahawks offensive line, I would anticipate Dwayne Brown's probably not going to be able to play again this week. Pete Carroll sent it optimistic. He could be back the next week, but that means George Fant again starting. Certainly that is a matchup that the Ravens can try to exploit. He had eight pass pressures that he gave up against the Browns the other day. And Cleveland does have plenty of talent rushing the passer. So maybe that's not as concerning as the number ultimately sounds. Uh, but that certainly would impact their pass protection. Jamarco Jones playing right guard for DJ Fluker as well. He's been really sound in pass protection. His biggest weakness so far has actually been run blocking. He's looked really solid in there as a pass protector, though. So I think the Seahawks, they're comfortable with the group they've got out there right now. They have more depth up front on that offensive line than they've had for quite some time. And if they're able to block up what the Ravens throw at them, I anticipate if the Ravens can't get early pressure with their front four, uh, maybe an extra Blitzer, they might start bringing more. They might start bringing that kitchen sink, which Russell Wilson is one of the best quarterbacks in the league at beating the Blitz with his arm. And so that's really making a big risk. But if that's the only way they can get pressure, they may need to take that risk. That, to me, is what this game comes down to. If that front line can block just well enough that Russell Wilson can operate with the way that he's been throwing dimes all over the field, I don't care who's in the secondary for Baltimore. You're going to have a really tough time, especially if he's moving around in and out of the pocket, extending plays. You mentioned corners and safeties can only cover for so long. That's how Russell Wilson burns people. He's already a really good passing quarterback right after the snap throwing the football when coverage is there if if his receivers have time to improvise their routes and they're able to get open it's an absolute nightmare for defenses so if the Ravens can get pressure on him get to the quarterback and eliminate those opportunities to extend plays they've got a really good chance to come into ball or into Seattle and get this win if the pass protection holds up for Seattle and Russell Wilson can work his magic uh, this is an offense that's been humming pretty darn well this year averaging over 27 points a game and with home field advantage I think they stack up pretty well going into this football game uh, what's your prediction real quick for a score you know I want to say the Ravens are going to win but I don't think that's going to be the case they're traveling across country it's going to be a four o'clock game for this team and with the way Russell Wilson has been playing I mean you can't understate how well he's been playing 72.5 completion percentage 1,704 yards 14 touchdowns and no interceptions I mean will he ever throw an interception this year is the question but I think that with the Ravens pass rush not showing up and me thinking that it will every week I'm losing more and more confidence and while I have confidence in the players like Matthew Judon and like Tyus Bowser you're right this game will be one up front both by the Ravens offensive line, the Seahawks defensive line, and then flipping that script, the Seahawks defensive line, but the the Seahawks offensive line, but it's the Ravens defensive line. And all of those 
positions will have an impact on the game. But the way that Russell Wilson has been playing and just carving up defense after defense, I think that the game is going to be decided by Russell Wilson's arm. And so I think it's going to be a close one. Don't get me wrong. I think this is going to be a very exciting game. Lamar Jackson versus Russell Wilson, two dynamic players, two dynamic quarterbacks. But I believe the Ravens are going to end up falling here 28-24 to against the Seahawks. Corbin, what about you? I'm going to go a little higher scoring than what you did. I, I think the Seahawks' defense has certainly shown that uh, they've got plenty of flaws. They've got things they've got to get fixed up, and they did have a bunch of turnovers last weekend that ended up limiting the Browns after a hot start. So they've shown that they can get the stops when they need to, but this is not the elite defense that they had 2013, 2014, 2015. Uh, they've lost most of those guys. So I expect the Ravens are going to be able to put points on the board. I don't think this Ravens defense is as good as what it has been in the past either, and I think the way Russell Wilson's playing, you mentioned it right now, it, he's just been unbelievable and I don't think he's going to slow down much if at all in this football game the Ravens pass rush does not scare me that much going into this football game it's weird saying those two things together so I I'm actually going to go 34 to 30 I think it's going to be a really close game a little higher scoring maybe than you anticipate but I think that the Seahawks are going to find a way to get this game uh, wrapped up and win it late Maybe it's some more Russell Wilson heroics at the end of the fourth quarter, but I got him taking the four-point win and moving to 6-1. and one. But it's not going to be easy. The Ravens are well-coached. They're a talented team on both sides of the ball. So I anticipate that this is going to be a great football game at Century Link Field. Anyways, as always, 12s and Ravenflock, glad to have you on board listening to today's Crossover Wednesday episode. Kevin, uh, where can our listeners find your stuff? So you can go to the Locked On Ravens Twitter to find all of our podcasts there. Also, just like Locked On Seahawks, find us anywhere, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, the whole shebang. Also, I have a personal Twitter, at KOstriker34. I know my last name can be a bit hard to spell, but you can find it in the Locked On Ravens bio. Uh, all my listeners can follow me on Twitter at Corbin Smith NFL. You can also follow at Seahawk Maven, where I am the beat reporter for uh, SI.com. And you can also follow us Locked underscore Seahawks, Seahawks, cannot talk today, Locked underscore Seahawks for our uh, podcast as well. So you can check out all of our content there. And same as we see in the entire Locked On Podcast Network, you can subscribe to our show on iTunes, Spotify, Stitcher, all of those by visiting our website, LockedOnSeahawks.com. Kevin, it's been a pleasure. Looking forward to an outstanding football game to watch on Sunday. It's been wonderful. I'm so happy that we're able to do this, and this is going to be a great, wonderful game. If you're looking for the most comprehensive NFL draft coverage this offseason, look no further than the Locked On NFL Scouting Podcast. Join the draft dudes, Kyle Krabs and Joe Marino, as they go position by position through the NFL free agent class and into the star-studded crop of college stars who will be selected in the 2024 NFL Draft. If you want to know who your favorite NFL team should be adding to its roster, you need to check out Locked On NFL Scouting. Available on YouTube and wherever you get your podcasts. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network. Your team every day. Is your team eliminated from the playoffs and in need of reinforcements? Maybe it's time for a rebuild, or maybe they're just a player or two away from taking home the Lombardi Trophy. Either way, join Keith Sanchez and Damian Parson for Mock Draft Monday on the Locked On NFL Draft Podcast. They'll tell you which college football stars your team will be taking in the 2024 NFL Draft. 
Check out Mock Draft Monday on the Locked On NFL Draft Podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day.